Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 12. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as much is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife from whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil, evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to just be here collectively. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us. Lord, may we leave here different than we came in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, So a couple of things before I get started. So first of all, thank you so much for all of you who prayed for uh, Christy and I and Matt and Julie and our time in Mexico um, this last week. I'm a little bit browner than when I left, which is great, but... um, It was just a sweet time of rest, and so we're grateful for your prayers in that. Um, Also, there was a couple of things that have transpired. Um, We had this, I mean, it was kind of a whirlwind. So we we had church last Sunday, and then we did the Super Bowl party. If you came to that, thanks for coming. It was a lot of fun. Um, And those who put that on, I know Tanner put a lot of effort into it, and so did Matt, and so thanks for doing that. Um, And then we kind of left. We also got news that there was an engagement that happened, Um, and so Caitlin and Greg are now engaged, so congratulations. It's always awesome to see uh, people come together, and so that was great. 
Um, and I'm sure there's a hundred other things that I need to talk about, but I'm not going to for sake of time. But um, I know we're also missing quite a few people for holiday, uh, this three-day weekend, and then winter break is this week for students. So I just ask you to remind, uh, pray for everyone that's gone and traveling and that kind of thing, okay? All right, so we're going to be picking up kind of where we left off. And coming back from Mexico, you, this is one of those things, like, we work pretty hard, Okay. Um, for those of you who, knows, uh, who know us, we have this tendency to just kind of push, 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 push until we fall over. <laughs> and oftentimes, we have these moments where you go and you say, okay, I'm intentionally needing to rest. I am the worst at resting. Okay, as I'm getting older, I have learned that rest requires discipline. And so I'm learning, I'm trying to learn, like, what does rest actually look like? And I also believe that rest looks different for everyone. Right? I, my whole life I was told, like, this is what rest is, and I'm like, that is not restful for me. So then I was trying to become this person that rested in a certain way, never worked out. But when you come back from a place of rest, as I'm getting better at this, it's always hard to dive back in, especially into something like Ecclesiastes. <laughs> right? Like, okay, we just had this great moment of rest in Mexico. We got some quality time together. We celebrated Valentine's Day on the beach. It was phenomenal. Um, all good stuff. And then as I was working through the passage this week, I'm like, wow. You know, the vacation, the, these times that we get, it, it's not real life, but it is. And one of the things that I'm hoping that we'll, you'll hear today is that we, as we balance kind of what Pastor Solomon is trying to tell us he's going to talk about the inevitability of death. He's going to talk about the, the lack of time that we have. He's going to talk about the sorrow that we have in it, the reasons that death even exists. But he's also going to remind us that life is a gift. You know, there's that old proverb, right? That's like, life is a gift. That's why they call it a present, right? We live in the present. It's a gift. It's and I don't know, I think oftentimes what happens is the, the issues that transpire on our planet in what we say every week, a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies, can become overwhelming to the point where we can actually forget that every breath that we have, every morning that we wake up, is a gift from the Lord. So the question that we're going to be asking is, are we living as if that's true? And there's some motivations that we're going to have to have in Christ to help us understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. We don't, as Christ followers, we don't just say, well, everything goes. Yes, we have freedom in Christ, but just do whatever you want, however you want. Our, our goal in life is to bring glory to Jesus. But one of the things I want to remind you today, even though we've got some, some heavy stuff to go through, and we'll end on this, the joy that you experience in your life in Christ is probably one of the greatest gifts that you can give back to Jesus as a Christ follower. And, you know, when we, we think, well, what do you do? How do you, you can't, you can't repay it. How, what do you do to honor, to love, to show the fear and respect that Solomon talked about here 
to appreciate, to thank, to however, whatever you want to say it, to, to a God who was willing to take all of our suffering, pain, and sin and die for it so that we don't have to. And then provide us eternal life, but then also promise us that he saved us for a life that's abundant beginning now. How do you thank that God? Well, you thank that God by living. You thank that God by, yes, um, obeying and, yes, doing, living out the gospel in the way that he says, but part of that, a big part of it, is the enjoyment that we get in him. I grew up in a church where it kind of felt like God was this cosmic power who was holding lightning bolts and was just waiting for me to mess up. And so there was this, I guess there was a healthy fear in the component of there was a respect of who God is, but there was an unhealthy fear in the aspect that it wasn't necessarily coupled with love. And so what they did to try to bring love into the equation is bring this person named Jesus in, and he was kind of the representative of love, while God the Father was kind of this representative of this lightning bolt scary thing right? And trying to, to make this connection between the two, it was like, man, I, I like Jesus because he loves me. I fear God. And then as you dive into more and more theology, you realize, okay, he, well, it's part of the Trinity. It's the same God. It, it, how do we wrestle with all of these things? And, and I think what transpired for me as a kid was this disconnect of fully understanding to the best of my ability this balance between, yes, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and Jesus had to come to save me, but that he saved me so that I could live. And that's not really what the focus was for me. It was, he saved you so that he can control you. He saved you so that he can constantly say no to you. He saved you so that you're going to become this robot for him, or whatever it was. And as Christ followers, what we need to be reminded of constantly, especially in the culture that we live today, is that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost so that you have an abundant life in him. And we need to understand what that means. So we begin in kind of a, a morbid sense here, I guess, in this passage. Um, it starts this way. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do no one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God and that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. This is an interesting passage. So I went to college. I took philosophy classes. I don't know if anybody liked philosophy. I loved philosophy because it was the easiest A that I ever got. Um, and I'll, so I'll tell you why. And if you're a philosopher, if you're a philosophy major, this isn't a, a knock on philosophy. This is just the reality. Philosophy isn't designed to give you answers. It's designed to force you to ask questions. So you don't go into a philosophy class going, oh, I'm going to figure everything out. In fact, if you're in philosophy class very long, especially like, say, philosophy 101 in college, what they do is they're going to take you through all of the, what we consider the great philosophers, right? Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, all of these guys that asked all of these crazy important questions, like, where did I come from? Why do I exist? Is there a God? If there is a God, where did he come from? What's the universe about? 
Why does the universe exist? How does it all function together? What happens when I die? All of these questions, right? Here's the thing I learned in philosophy. They already asked them all. So in philosophy, you don't have to come up with new questions. You just have to agree with the questions, right? So it was an easy A because it was like, sure, I can ask that question. Or I'll ask another question that's similar to the question that's already been asked by the greats, and my, my professor's like, ooh, you just blew our minds. And I'm like, whatever, right? So philosophy functions in a way that thinks circularly. Okay? And what I mean by that is it comes back on itself. So you answer a question with a question, and you just keep talking in circles, and you're not seeking out any answers whatsoever. Okay? Scripture's a little bit different. Scripture's about truth. Tri scripture is the creator of all things, revealing himself to us in very specific ways so that we have answers to the questions that our minds naturally ask. So scripture doesn't say, oh, well, here's the thing, we're going to think circularly. It doesn't say the answer is ask another question. Scripture says the answer is God himself, the answer is Jesus, and though we're not given all of the answers, and we never will be, it pre presents truth to us. So there's a linear type of a thinking. There's an end result. It's, okay, who's the creator of all? Well, that's God. Where did he come from? I don't know. He's eternal. And if you want to go circular, you can on that, and it'll drive you crazy, right? It drove the, the greats crazy. It got to a point where one of them, if you, no matter what you choose to believe on how we came into existence, something had to exist first. Like something has to be eternal. Because if you just keep going back and back and back and back and back, so if we say it was the Great Bang, then something exploded. Well, where did the something come from? Well, we got to keep going back, and eventually you're going to go crazy, right? To where the greats initially said, or they, ha they finally had to conclude what they called an unmoved mover. There has to be something out there that's eternal. There has to be. There has to be something that's eternal. There has to be something that, that has always been. And they didn't know how to define that or what it was. What I found interesting about the beginning of this is it's attempting to destroy the concept of philosophical thinking for us by just saying this. You're not going to know. And you go, well, that's pretty melodramatic. Well, that's reality. Here's the thing. You serve a God. We were created by a God that in Gen the book of Genesis says that he was able to create everything just by speaking it with his words. He went giraffe, and it existed. When you read Genesis and you realize the power and the creativity and the beauty and the intelligence of the Creator, it's overwhelming to process. That's the God whom we worship. To, to, to put ourselves in a position to believe that we're ever going to fully understand that God is just arrogance. I think and I've told you guys this before, but one of the things that makes God worth worshiping is that we don't have all the answers. 
there's this component of him being in, he's awesome. It's, it's this awe, this awe that we have with him. Okay. You ever, like, just, like, been in nature or wherever, right? And you're just like, man, God is so, so creative. And it overwhelms you. Or God is so brilliant. Like, it sounds like a weird thing to say. But he is. He's so far beyond us. He's other. And what we try to do, and what the scriptures are constantly telling us that we're trying to do, is we're trying to take this awesome God and reduce him down to something that we can understand. Now, we're only given a little bit. Scripture tells us that all we really know about God is what he has revealed to us. But he's an infinite God says in certain scriptures that right now we know in part we're going to know more we'll know more in the future everything that we 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 think we know about god if it's not written in scripture if it's not justified through the way that he's revealed himself then it's things that we've tacked onto him because we want to understand and we're trying to humanize something that can't be humanized I think there's a reason, one of the reasons, I mean, there's a whole lot of theological reasons, but one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus became man is so that we have a, at least a human form contact to say, okay, we can relate to this and he can relate to us. But here's the thing, to believe that we can relate to God is foolish. And Solomon at this point is literally just going, We know what God's revealed about himself to us. We worship him because of that. But we're never going to know. We're never going to have all of the answers. It doesn't matter how many questions we ask. It's not going to be revealed to us. We can't, you can't handle the truth, right? Like, however you want to say it. There's... There's things about God, like if you understood everything about God, then that would theoretically make you a God. He's so far beyond. And I think we need to constantly be reminded of that because our attempt to, to, to bring him down to this little box, right? Like I've said this, like my God would never do that. Like I remember saying that when I was a kid. And I don't say that anymore. Right, because I, I read Scripture. I read the Old Testament. Sometimes, like when I was a kid, I would go, man, it feels like the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. We have a God that is saying, you're going to go in and, and wipe out an entire civilization, their, their women, their children, and all of their animals. And you go, that's intense. That's God. The same God who says, I'm sending Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be with me forever. To, for us to try to understand God's sovereignty, his plans, his, the way that he processes, the way that he thinks, the way that he sees so far beyond, the way that he is in control of everything, is, it's not possible. So what Solomon is going to challenge us in is to say, we need to be reminded that ultimately, we're not going to have the answer to every question. 
There's a, a book in, in the Old Testament called Job, and it's about a guy who goes through some pretty hard stuff, right? Um, and at the end, and throughout the book, I mean, some of it's just, some of it's unjust. He doesn't have very good friends who are constantly basically saying, the reason you're going through this is because you're sinning because their theology was about this big. And at, but at the end, it's fascinating because ultimately God looks at Job and he goes, who are you to question me? Were you there when I set the foundations of the world? Were you there when all of this was created? And, and obviously Job has to say no. And what is God doing to Job? He's saying, I don't, ha I don't have to answer your questions. You just need to know that I created you, that I've given you life, that I sent Jesus, and that I love you. The greatest philosophers on the planet <laughs> have gone mad attempting to answer these questions. Right? It's, 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 it's almost anti-human, I guess, in some ways. Um, it's, it's fun talking to people about Scripture and, and God, and when they have questions, we sit down with coffee, and I always want to hear people's questions, right? Like, tell me, like, what do you question about God? What do you question about God? And, then, and sometimes I'm like, I don't have an answer to that. Well, why not? Well, because God hasn't revealed that part of him yet. So I, I'm not going to just make something up, right? I, I could tell you maybe what I think, but, but you don't care what I think. We care about who God is and what he thinks and what he's revealed about himself. That, that should be our response consistently, but I, I remember like talking to somebody and they're like, well, you know, I, I remember saying a truth. This is who God says that he is. And they said, well, that feels oppressive. And I said, I'm really sorry, but now we've entered the realm of philosophy because it's not about what you feel. God doesn't... God isn't changed by your feelings. Your feelings, I mean, they're important because we're human, but our feelings don't dictate who creator God is. Just because we might not like something about God doesn't mean it's not true. And ultimately, if we're saying we don't like that about God, because there's things where I go, man, that seems brutal, Old Testament stuff, right? I'm like, man, that's, I mean, I, I grew up in Bakersfield, California. And in Bakersfield, California, everybody hunts. Okay? <laughs> I, <laughs> so this is my story, right? So you, you can judge me all you like. I don't like killing things. I just don't. I don't enjoy it. Okay, so, like, even when we went hunting, like, I was a pretty good shot. We would go out to skeet shooting, and my dad wanted to, like, bond with me, so he took me duck hunting. You know, he's like, okay, let's go hunting. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. We'll go hunting. So we would go out and practice, and I was a pretty good shot, skeet shooting. My dad was a cop, so he taught me how to shoot. And then we would go out hunting, and I would never hit anything. And he's like, how come you never hit anything? And I didn't have the heart to tell him because I'm not aiming at it because I don't want to shoot it, Right? I remember the first bird I ever shot. I shot it. It's on the ground. It's writhing on the ground. And I'm like, I can't do this. And my dad's like, you just have to go up and pull the head off. And I'm like, I'm out. 
right? I just don't, there's no judgment here. It's just not in me. So then when I read, like, I, one of the things I wish that I had done is coming out of high school, I was heavily recruited into the Secret Service and the military and so on and so forth. And I'm like, the reason I never did that is because I'm not positive I could pull the trigger. Like, I knew myself well enough to go, and then I'll have people come and go, oh, so if somebody broke into your house and were threatening your wife, I'm like, no, I could do that. But I can tell you also that I would regret it. Right? That's just, that's who I am. So I have a hard time sometimes looking at a God who is just, I mean, this is me as a human being, right? Going, destroy everything. And I'm like, oh. I mean, I've related to Saul at times and gone, I don't know if I could command people to do that. I know myself. I would hope that I could. When, when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, I don't know how I would have responded in that situation. I hope that I would be obedient, but I know myself, right? I think the Lord had to take Abraham through a lot of things in his life to get to that point where he was finally willing to do it. I, there are things about God that you might say, I don't even know that I like that, but here's the reality. It's still who he is. He's still God. He's still creator. He's still good. Always. He's always love. He's always just. He's always good. He's always powerful. And he's not accountable to us. A lot of the issues that I have growing up when it comes to my, my faith in Jesus really came down to my disappointment that he didn't do it the way that I thought he should. And when I realized that, <laughs> that says more about me than it says anything about God. Like, what are the things in your life where you're like, and I have this maybe against the Lord because he didn't handle it the way that I would have handled it. Right? But, you know, Jonah got a ride in a fish. It wasn't pleasant. But God got him where he needed to be. <laughs> There's Jesus. I, I don't believe that Jesus in, with 40 days in the desert probably went, that was the most pleasant thing I've ever done but it was necessary. We go through things that we're never going to understand why, probably. But what we know is that we have a God who's sovereign and good and will use the things in our life for his glory. And that's important. So one of the things I'm going to say, I, I just, we don't need all of the answers. We need to trust the one who has all of the answers. All right, let's keep going. So Solomon begins this that way, and then he says, then he's going to start talking about death. Oh, he actually, there's one other thing I thought was fascinating here. He says uh, in, in chapter 9, verse 1, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. And then listen to this. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. You know what he's actually asking? He's like, okay, have you said this? God must hate me. 
He must, because I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through unless he did, right? So what you're, when you think about what you've just said, when you say, okay, God must hate me, or maybe I've displeased God, so I'm going through this, whatever it is, what you're saying is, I am, I am evaluating and concluding that God's motivation for putting me through what I'm going through is that I am unloved and that he hates me. That's the conclusion. And we've all done this. Everyone in here has done this at some point. Whether you believe or you don't, you've said this, right? There's also times when I've gone, man, God must really love me because something bad should have happened. Like, I did not get what I deserved in this moment. That could be just something as simple as doing something really stupid in a car or whatever it is, and going, man, I, God must love me, right? What Solomon is reminding us is we don't get to question God's motives. And in reality, if we really want to take it deeper theologically, not only can we not question his motives, but He's always good, and he's always just, and those two things run parallel. <laughs> For us, we're constantly trying to go, oh, well, sometimes good and just don't work the same, and it seems like they, they contradict each other, but to God, then there's never a contradiction. So we can have moments where we're like, man, is am I in this like bad favor of God now? Does he hate me? And the answer would be no. He loves you. But he's sovereign. And sometimes we're going to go through stuff and that's just the way that it is. But God is still good. Solomon's saying, we don't need the answers to why. We just live life. And we glorify Jesus. All right, next set of verses here, he's going to talk about death for a little while, which is always a fun topic for everybody. Verse 2 in chapter 9 is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him does not sacrifice. The point of all of this, these next two verses, is ultimately that he's saying, look, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, death is certain. Okay? So we have to disassociate living a moral life with having mortality. That's not true. All right? So think of, I've lived through some disasters, so we had 9-11. Okay? Um, there was a hurricane in... Um, New Orleans, that was pretty rough that I, that I remember. Um, whatever it is, it, the things that are going on in, around the world right now are just insane, right? The righteous are suffering the same as the unrighteous. When an earthquake hits or a natural disaster comes or the tornado starts going through, like we'll talk about it as if, as if it's a being that can think. And we're like, man, it looked like it turned around this one and hit that one and decided it was going to take out that house and so on and so forth. It's not really how it works. It's just, here's this force of nature and it's coming and it's, it's going to take out houses of those who are Christ followers and houses of those who aren't. 
I mean, we've all experienced that. I've had moments where I've been like, God, could you please stop picking on that person? Right? It feels like you're being really harsh on this person. Like they just keep going through it over and over. It's not always me. Sometimes we just go, Lord, stop. Like, stop picking on that person. And you know what he says to me? I'm not. <laughs> That's that, quit putting motivation in my heart. Like, quit, quit judging me based upon what your understanding is. It, in this instance, Solomon is reminding us, look, death is certain. It's always going to happen. Every single person will die. It's inevitable. Every single person is going to go through good things and bad things. Have you ever been driving on a highway and it seems like no matter which lane you pick, it's the slow one? Is that, everybody's experienced that, right? It's like, man, I just switched lanes and now this one's moving slower than the one I was just in. I have come to the conclusion that the person next to me is thinking the exact same thing. It doesn't matter which one you're in. It doesn't matter who it is. The person next to me believes they're in the slow lane. I think I'm in the slow lane. Do you follow? It's constantly, like, bad things are constantly happening to everyone. You don't own a patent on misery, Life's hard. Bad things happen. It's, it's just life. It, you know, it's fun because sometimes you get a bunch of guys together and they'll start like comparing like scars and wounds and stuff. And all it's coming down to is, I believe that my life is more miserable than yours. I'm going to show you. Right? Like, let me tell you what hard stuff I'm going through that you're not going through. And half the time I'm thinking, man, the reality is everyone's going through hard things. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much security you have. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't, everyone is experiencing hard. Sin-cursed world, sin-cursed bodies. And everyone is experiencing blessing. Scriptures say that the Lord shines the sun on the sinner and the righteous. Everyone has experienced moments where you go, I didn't deserve that, and I got it. Our entire trip in Mexico was that. We, we, I could stand up here for an hour and explain to you the blessings that were thrown at us that we did not expect for any reason whatsoever that just kept coming. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know why this is happening. But I didn't complain. God, why would you bless me so well on this trip? Why do you do this to me? Right? I, one of the things that I was thinking about while we were on this trip and all of this stuff was happening was I was thinking about Paul. And Paul said, I think Matt had mentioned it, that Paul, you know, I know what it's like to, to have wants and I know what it's like to have too much and Basically, you're saying, I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to have blessing. And I think in my mind, I've always like processed that through seasons of life. But what I'm realizing now is I think Paul means consistently. Meaning, in the same day, it's possible to be overwhelmed by blessing and overwhelmed by disappointment. And what Paul would say is, I, I know what that's like. And 
I, I can't let those things impact the mission that I'm on, the way that I relate, the, my, my ability to glorify Jesus. If, if in this moment, in the next five minutes, he chooses to bless me with something I don't deserve, then I'm going to be grateful. And if he chooses to put me through something that ultimately I know is for my good, then I'm going to be grateful. I don't, I don't have to be giddy about suffering, but I have to put it in the right context. Right? And what I've learned in my 40s, I'm, I've turned 48 this week, my almost 48 years of life, is that I have a tendency to believe that I must be living a better life if I'm getting more blessing. And I must be living, I must be doing something wrong if I feel like I'm suffering consistently. And I've learned that's not accurate. It's not. Uh, as a parent, you know, there were times I like, would talk to my kids and they would be like, man, there were times when I was unjustly punished or there were times where dad was just in a bad mood or whatever it was. And there were things that maybe we did as parents that they didn't understand, but we knew that by saying no to that, it was preparing them for this, right? And I think the Lord, as a good father, can do that at times. He's like, I know that you want this, but you don't want this. In fact, I'm not going to keep giving you what you want. I'm going to keep giving you what you need. Death is going to happen to us all. It's certain. And the other, uh, other like, component here, if we keep reading, is we're going to realize that not only is death certain, but death is deserved. Like, naturally, one of the reasons that, that, that death is so hard is because it's not what we were created for. It's the result of the curse. You weren't created to die. Death comes as a result of sin. Sin changes everything. It changes the nature of how the world worked. I mean, everything was cursed. Uh, man was cursed, woman was cursed, the enemy was cursed, and the creation was cursed. It changes everything. And it's saying, look, not only are you going to die, but we have to wrestle with the fact that we deserve it. From a theological standpoint, we understand we are dirty, rotten sinners, and God doesn't tolerate sin, and there's ramification for sin. Paul said the wages of sin is death. We can't avoid that. We don't, we don't avoid death by being moral. It's why this idea of trying to work our way to please God is impossible. It's you're dirty, rotten sinner, you, the judgment is already death, so death. Well, what are you going to do to try to work your way out of death? Nothing. It doesn't work that way. It's why we need Jesus to come, right, and provide us the grace of giving us something that we don't deserve. But we still have to experience physical death. That's part of the curse. The hope in the what Jesus did is we know that Jesus also faced death for us, but he rose. And so we live in light of that resurrection, knowing that because he took all of our punishment and was raised from the dead, then we will too. 
but we will die. The first, the first realization that everyone has to come to, whether it be through philosophy or whatever, is to say, I am not the person that I think that I am, and I'm not the person, and I'm, I'm much worse than I think that I am. Because what we do to alleviate that is we compare ourselves to the worst. Right? Oh yeah, I did that, but I'm not Hitler. You know, he's, he's out there. I've also learned in my almost 48 years that I believe anybody's capable of anything. I believe without the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that any person is capable of anything. You are capable of doing that which you would say you would never do. And one of the reasons I know that is because I've done, some, I've done things I said I would never do, and you've done things you said you would never do. That deserves death. Death is coming. Death is all around us consistently. People are dying every day. It's certain, and it's deserved. We move on. The next component here is he says, death is sad. It's sad. I mean, I, I, I like, I have mixed emotions with all of this. I like when somebody says, we are going to, you know, it's a funeral, and they say, we're going to have a celebration of life. I think that's really cool. I think that if people around you love you and desire to celebrate how you impacted them or what you, I think that's awesome. I also think that when a Christ follower dies, we are comforted by knowing that they are with Jesus. <laughs> Paul said it, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We see that in Christ. However, for those of us who are left behind, we have to go through the death process, meaning they're no longer here, and we are. And there's sadness in that. There's grieving in that. There's, there's life change in that. When somebody that's close to you dies, life changes. It's just the way that it works. When my grandfather died, I was very close to him. My life changed. It, it's just how it works. It, it doesn't mean it gets better or worse. Or, it's just different. I mean, there's counselors out there that say, hey, they try to help us to grieve in healthy ways, right? Because everybody has to grieve. You, you figure out, like, how, what is healthy grieving for you? And what does that look like? And then there's unhealthy grieving because death is sad. It says in verse 4, but he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. I know that's a saying that you use all the time. A living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay, so I have to, before I explain this, I need you to understand something. For you dog lovers, and I'm one of them, okay? In, in ancient Israel, and in that context, dogs were like the lowest of the low. A dog was not something that people brought into their home. 
right? It, they, they just, they were, they were shunned. They were pushed out, okay? And I don't know why. I don't know if they were different or whatever. I know we've bred dogs, but dogs were like the lowest of low. Lion was a symbol of strength and power and royalty. And so, and even in, when, when, when Solomon's trying to describe like the sadness of death, he's like, man, it would be better to have a living dog than a dead lion. Because death is sad. It's hard. It's difficult. And it's meant to be. I think one of the things that we have to understand about death is that it's an inevitability for us all, but that because it's part of the curse, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be all-encompassing it's not supposed to be permanent it's not supposed to like but what it is supposed to do is cause you to reevaluate the fact that one day you too are going to die that's what death is supposed to do right Solomon talked about this in a couple passages back where he's like man when you you're going to this funeral and you're listening to the celebration of life but one of the realities is yes we are celebrating the person but they are no longer here. And there's sadness in that. And we have to wrestle with that to go, I am immortal. I am going to die. And no matter what I do, I'm still going to die physically. Everyone will experience death, except the couple in the Bible, and we'll see how that works. Everyone will experience death. And it's sad. And it's meant to impact us. It is a curse. It's meant to impact us. It's meant to remind us that our life on this earth is short. It's meant to put some urgency in us, not to derail us. There's a grieving period that, that it feels like, man, my life has to be put on hold for a moment. And I've got to deal with this. And it's healthy to do such. But then there's the re-entry, right? To say, my life, I'm still living. The Lord has asked me to continue in life. But I live that life in light of knowing that my time is short. There's an urgency that's created in us to say, because our time is short and our job is to glorify Jesus, that we need to be about his business. And then I'm going to jump down to the bottom here in verse 11. We all find that death is certain. It's inevitable. It's deserved. We find that death is sad. And we also find out that death can be sudden. It's not always sudden. Um, I've experienced both. I've lost somebody very quickly. I shared the story about my friend when I was 13. And that was sudden. And I've experienced long, drawn-out deaths where, man, I knew it was, but it always seems to feel sudden, doesn't it? Regardless. It's because the reality is one day they're there and the next day they're not. But death can happen so quickly. Without, I don't want to sound morbid, but I will say, like, it's possible that you could die today. That is a possibility. 
for those of us who know Jesus, we're like, Jesus, come back. Like, we pray for that, right? I, I wake up every morning, I'm like, today, Jesus would be a great day to come back. Especially when I don't want to have a conversation or whatever, right? <laughs> like, today's a great day to come back. We long for his return. But he hasn't come back. We still live. We know our time is short. Today could be your last day. Now, the Gnostics take this and go, that's why we have to party all the time. Today could be the last day. So we got to make sure that everything that we're doing is just fun, 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 fun. Like we got to live to the hilt. We got to just go after it. And what Jesus would say is, that is actually correct, but your methodology is very poor. I want you to live for every day. I want you to understand that your time may be short. I want you to wake up in the morning and go, thank you, Jesus, for breath, and this could be the last day I have on earth, and your job is to glorify Jesus. So the ultimate day is when we say, Lord, you've given me breath of life. I'm not dead yet, but I know it's coming. And today could be my last day, so I want your schedule to be mine. I want to see what you have for me today. I want the divine appointments. I want the conversations. I want you, I want the privilege of being used by you today in a powerful way. That, and then if we happen to go to bed and wake up the next morning, then we get to do it again. That's living to the hilt. And in the midst of that, there's going to be amazing blessings you don't deserve and amazing pain that we all deserve. And we balance this thing back and forth going, I know that my time is short. I really believe that, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a great eschatologist. I have my theology. I, you'll probably never know it. Okay? Is that, um, if you don't, eschatology is a fancy word for what happens at the end times, right? We know we have passages in Daniel and Thessalonians and Jude and Revelation and all this stuff and everybody's trying to to put it together. And here's my, here's is my eschatology. Are you ready? Jesus is coming back, and we don't know when. The only other component, I would say, is when he comes back, it looks different. Right? So there's my eschatology for everyone else. Um, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. I think that's actually biblical, because when his disciples asked Jesus, when are you coming back, what did he say? I don't know. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Well, that's not for, he said it fancy. That's not for me to decide, it's for the Father to decide. He said it in a holy way. We just, I don't know. That's not my decision. That's the Father's decision to make. Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. So I'm always like, when people are like, oh, I know when Jesus is coming back, I'm like, thanks for picking that day, because that ain't going to happen now, right? Like, if Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, that means it could be any time. I mean, I really believe, like when you look at like, if you really dive into eschatology, you're like, oh man, there's signs, there's, there's groanings, there's things that are gonna happen, we know that. I mean, if I, I didn't live during World War II, but wouldn't you think that people living, Christ followers in World War II might go, this is it. But Jesus didn't come back. So I don't know when he's coming back. You don't know when he's coming back. So we're, we're, we're burdened in some ways with the responsibility of knowing two things. 
you're going to die and you don't know when, or Jesus is going to come back and you don't know when. One of the two is going to happen, which means your time is short. And you go, wow, that's depressing. But at the same time, it's motivation. Let me explain. I have learned in my, okay, so we've established I'm getting older, okay? And physically, I'm changing, okay? Nobody wants to hear the details. Physically, I'm changing, okay? I can't do what I used to do. My brain thinks that I can. If I go out and play soccer right now, there are some things that I can do. But as soon as the ball is headed that direction, I'm like, I can't get there before that guy. I used to go, nobody's going to get there before me. And now I'm like, not only, I mean, I've, and I've, I've evolved. I've gone from, I can't get there before them, but I'm going to do it anyway. And now I'm at, I can't get there before him, and I'm going to wait right here. <laughs> so you go get it. Eventually, you're going to have to turn around and come at me, and now we'll be good. Right? But I'm not wasting the, the little bit of energy I have to go get something that is ir- irrelevant in the game overall. Right? And, and that's just how it's become. And then I can't work out the same way I used to. For months, I did uh, a workout that I used to do when I was younger, and you know what my results were? Nothing. I'm like, I went through all that pain for nothing. My body has changed. I can't do what I used to do. It's different. We, we're constantly going through these things in our life where, where things change. Hopefully, we get wiser. Hopefully, we realize that what I used to get angry about is, was foolish, I used to pick fights over that, and I now you go, why would I ever do that? What a waste of time, right? We, as we evaluate our life, one of the things that we're supposed to be doing in light of death and in light of Jesus' return is going, okay, he tells us that every moment that we have here is a gift, even though it's hard. But he's chosen in his sovereignty to leave me here. That's for a reason, It's not to mope around. It's not to complain. It's not to just be a miserable person. It's not to just party and go on the extreme on the other end. He's left us here for a purpose. I don't always know what that is. I don't know what that is every day, right? This is why we have the Holy Spirit, because we're waking up and going, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? And I know this is what I think I have planned, but if you have something else, then give me the wisdom and the grace to change it for you. And that's, that's how we live. And in, those, in that living, there's going to be hardships and suffering and pain and blessing and all of this stuff's going to transpire. But the reality is you don't have much left. There's a motivation to say you don't have much left. So I said this about my body changing. Like, I have learned that I work... I, if I am working for, I'm no longer motivated to work out just to work out. All right? I used to be. I was like, I care what I look like on the beach. Right now, I just don't. <laughs> well, I don't care because nobody matters. My wife thinks I'm great. Okay? And I don't care what you guys think I look like. Right? I mean, I think there's things in Scripture we say we take care of our body, so on and so forth. But as far as like being a hard, I just don't care anymore. If it happens, it happens. But what I will say is when I'm, if I say, I'm going to train for that, there's a Tough mutter coming up, advertisement. In June, every year I've put a team together. If you want to run this with me in June, you need to start training now. 
okay? Because we're going to be running up a ski mountain again, and it is not easy, right? So if I go, I have to get ready for that race, then I become motivated because I know my time is short. And if I'm not fit enough, because I wasn't last year, I wanted to die doing it, right? And it was embarrassing at the same time. So that motivation of going, we don't have a lot of time, is supposed to create a urgency within us to get moving. What if today's your last day? The other thing in the rest of that section that, that Solomon's going to question is, if you were to ask yourself, what if today was your last day, what would you do? Because that says a lot about you. Like, I, I remember a, a youth pastor tell, asking me that once. He goes, Kevin, if you had 24 hours right now, what would you do with that 24 hours? Like, you knew that was it. What would you do? I don't even know what I said, because I, I was probably like, I have no idea. Like, what would you do? Maybe Disney, Disneyland? 24 hours, what would you do? And I'm like, ah. but what you would do does speak a lot about who you are. Not, it doesn't, no judgment. I go to Disneyland, you don't have to like it. But it speaks a lot about who you are to yourself. What conversations would you have? What, what have you been what have you been pushing the Holy Spirit back that you know you're supposed to be doing? Would you do it? Well, here's an interesting one. What wouldn't you do? You have 24 hours. 24 hours, you're going to be dead. What have you been doing that you wouldn't do during that 24 hours? Because maybe every time you do it, you just feel terrible or guilty. All right, what's the point of all of this? Jump back up to verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Okay, there's a little bit of explanation needed here. Solomon is going to give us all of this understanding of death, inevitability of death, the amount of time that we have the short, the, the deserved death, all of these things that are hard. Death is sad, it's difficult, so on and so forth. What healthy morning looks like, what unhealthy morning looks like, how we live, that, that life is a gift. But we're going to go through all this hard stuff, and then he's going to bring it back to saying, listen, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. And he breaks it down to three things, which I'm going to say he's the wisest man in the world at the time, right? So maybe his categories are great. The first one he breaks it down to is what? Go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. So eating, drinking, whatever it is, he's saying, listen, like I would, I would categorize this to maybe into the pleasures of life, right? Enjoy it. We take Paul's philosophy here. Sometimes I have more than enough to eat. We were at an all-inclusive resort. There was way more to eat than we could ever eat. There's been other times where I've survived on ramen, right? We've all done this. So, but do you enjoy it? 
Like, are you, do you understand the sovereignty of God and the gift of Jesus so well in your life that regardless of what you're eating, you go, thank you. Joy is an ability to be, to have an attitude of gratitude regardless of the circumstance. So no matter what's going on around you, can you eat with gratitude? Are you thankful for what you have instead of focusing constantly on what you don't? Can you, like Paul, say, yeah, I prefer the New York steak, but I'm living on ramen at the moment, and God is good. Are you willing to say, man, I know that he's got me on ramen right now, but I also know that I'm going to be blessed with filet. It's going to happen at some point. Enjoy. Um, one of the things he says here is God has already approved what you do. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you just get to pick what you do and God goes, approval. Approval, 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 right? What he's saying is, in Christ, you have been given the freedom to honor him and glorify him however you should please. Spurgeon, one of the greatest pastors of all time, right? Loved cigars. Loved them. And I think brandy? Cigars and brandy, right? So I don't, I don't have any, we have no record that he was ever like drunk. We have no record that he just partied, whatever. We do have record of Spurgeon saying, every time I sit in my office and light up my cigar, I thank the Lord above for the cigar that I'm smoking. That's beautiful. Anything that we enjoy can become an idol. Then it becomes sin. We can't thank God for sin. Why? Because that brings us back to death. But we can thank God for every good thing. So if you enjoy a cigar every now and then, and it doesn't become an idol, and you can thank God for it, then do it. I like tequila. Right? I could abuse it, yeah, but I don't. So when I have a nice tequila and a fun little glass that I'm sipping on, I can say, God, thank you for tequila. It's my freedom to do that. It's not my freedom to sin. He's not going to prove that. You get to enjoy good food. We thank him for it. He created taste buds for a reason. He gave them to you. Enjoy it. Next, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. I don't know how to, um, I think this one ties to the first verse, but I'm just going to throw this out there because I have actually have daughters and they like clothes. Okay? So this one's for them. Enjoy it. You want a bunch of shoes? Do it. Don't let them become an idol. Don't live for shoes. Don't live for the mall. Live for Jesus. But you like design? You like clothes? Great. Look good. Enjoy it. Enjoy the process. I like shorts. I enjoy them. <laughs> so when people come and say, you could look better, I'm like, yeah, but I'm enjoying it. 
Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life, in your toil, at which you toil under the sun. Okay. Scripture says there's no marriage in heaven. Did you know that? There's no marriage in heaven. You're married to Jesus. There's no marriage in heaven. So, as much as I love the sentiment of saying to Christy, I'm always going to be by your side, I don't know that that's true. I don't know what there is no marriage in heaven means. I just know there is no marriage in heaven. I don't even know if I'll see Christy in heaven. I hope so. It says that I probably will, but are we going to be hanging out all the time? Pro- I don't know. I'm not even going to guess. I have no idea. But what this passage tells me is if you are married, if you get the gift of marriage, there's a gift of singleness too, but if you are given the gift of marriage, then you need to understand that the gift of marriage is only during the time that you're alive on this earth. And he's saying, don't waste it. I think that's cool. I mean, this is the guy who wrote some of the most scandalous stuff in Scripture. He enjoyed it, right? He also did marriage poorly. But I would say when, when what he's talking about here is he's saying if you're given the gift of marriage and you're wasting it, that's awful. Enjoy the gift that you've been given in your spouse. Enjoy them physically. Enjoy them emotionally. Enjoy them in every way possible because here's what could happen. They could be gone tomorrow and then you're going to sit back and go, I blew it. It's a gift. I get so frustrated when Christy and I will have an argument and then like five minutes later go, I don't even know what we're arguing about. It's so stupid. And then that makes it worse. And all the women are like, amen. <laughs> right? That's the problem. You don't know what we're arguing about. I, I mean, when I think about the, like, the silly, you got marriage is hard, okay? Where's Caitlin in? Okay, ready? Okay, marriage is hard. Two sinful beings with all of their baggage and all of their junk attempting to become one flesh. That is not easy. It's hard. Okay, is really hard. Christy brought a lot of baggage in the marriage. I brought a lot of the baggage. That wasn't her baggage. That's my baggage. And then we say, okay, we're going to bring all this baggage together and we're going to try to become one flesh. It's hard. But do you know marriage is supposed to be a blessing? You're supposed to enjoy one another. Stop picking on each other. Stop fighting over silly things. Enjoy each other. What would it look like if you knew this was the last day with your spouse? Because it could be. What would you do different? What would you stop doing? We get to enjoy that. Last, whatever whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. Work hard. Work well. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that you get to use your hands. Enjoy the fact that you get to use your brain. Enjoy the fact that you get to go to school. 
Enjoy the fact that you get to learn new things. Enjoy the fact that you, you have opportunity to do something useful. Enjoy the fact that you and your creativity can benefit mankind in a really fun, cool way. Enjoy what you're doing. I, I believe that this is the big one. If people would just go, I am so grateful for the job that I have. I'm doing everything that I can to enjoy it. Now, I know there's reasons to leave, and I know all of that. Please do not say, you follow me, but I mean, I'm, most of the time, our complaints are really petty. And I watch this all the time. People go, I need a new job. And they go to the next job, and they just take the same issues with them. And I just want to go, it's not them, it's you. You just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. It's not working, right? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Be enjoyable. Be one of those people who walks in the room and they're like, yes, they're here. I love working with this person. Don't be the person that walks in there like, oh, my day just got worse. <laughs> and you know those people. And if you can't think of anybody, you're probably that person. Like, enjoy it. Enjoy. We are going to die. We have Jesus. He saved you. He didn't take you right away. You're still here. You get to glorify Jesus. Enjoy your life. Stop complaining. Stop worrying about tiny little things that don't matter, that consume you. Because it doesn't matter. I, I had a friend, and it's like we'd go out to dinner, and if we had a bad meal, it ruined his week. And I'm like... Get over it. Move on. I don't want to talk about our bad meal anymore. Like, it's been six days. I've had great meals since then. Let's move past this. It sounds silly, but you know, I don't, maybe that's you. Whatever it is, like, let it go. Live. The Lord Jesus did not save you so that you're dead while you're living. It says that he came back, he died for you, he rose for you, he gives you new life every morning. Why? So that you will live for him. Live. Live. Enjoy it. Enjoy each other. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your husband. Enjoy your family. Be a blessing. Why? Because we don't have much time. We don't have much time. Why waste it? Be present. I think that's one of the probably biggest like, takeaways. If you, like, you're like, well, how does Kevin process this application-wise? I actually get that all the time. And like you're asking me personally, you know what it was? Be present. My personality is to move from one thing to the next. Be present where you are and enjoy what's going on in front of you. And then move on to the next thing and be present there and enjoy what's going on in front of you. Be present. I don't know what it is for you, but I, I, I do know this. Like I think that Solomon does an amazing job of taking something that we can leave here today and go, oh my gosh, it's so morbid, I'm going to die. Or you can go, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. People are going to die. Others are going to die. I have a short period of time. What do I want to do with my short period of time? Jesus, you give me new life every day. 
what should we do today? Oh, I get to work today. Oh, I get, I mean, I look around the room and just, I'm not going to belabor this. I know what some of you do for a living, and I'm like, wow. You get to do that? Like, do you realize what you do is impacting humanity in some really cool, fun ways? Enjoy it. Some of you are in education. You're more, you get, I mean, you, I know there's issues, there's issues with everything. But we can continue to focus on the issues, continue to focus on glorifying Jesus, even amongst the issues. Choose. But choose wisely. The last thing Solomon says in all of this is you will be held accountable. Isn't this a crazy thing to think that Jesus could actually hold you accountable for not being joyful enough? You know what your issue was? You didn't have enough fun in the life that I gave you. You didn't enjoy it. That's a problem. Why? Because I gave you a gift of life. You can also say, you had a little too much fun. You let everything become an idol. We tend to work in extremes. I don't know which one you work in. Okay? But enjoy it. Enjoy your life that you've been given. Enjoy today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we know the inevitability of dying because it's in front of us every day. But Lord, if you chose for us to be defined by death, then you wouldn't have sent Jesus. So I pray that it wouldn't be what defines us. It would be a motivator to help us understand what you've given us to enjoy. Lord, I, I ask, first of all, that if there's anyone in this room right now who does not know the love of Jesus, that you would regenerate their hearts so that they can experience true joy in you. Lord, don't let them leave here without knowing you. Lord, but I... My heart is resonating toward those of us who know you, Lord. And we're choosing pain and suffering and misery. And Lord, I, I just ask that you would give us the grace through your Holy Spirit to enjoy the life that you've given us in Jesus. Lord, help us to celebrate the freedoms that you've given us. Give us the ability to enjoy what we do, to enjoy each other. Lord, I pray for those in here who are married, that they would have the most amazing, enjoyable marriages that the world can see. Lord, I ask that your church would be a place where joy is felt even in the most difficult of times. And Lord, help us glorify you in it all. Remind us that our joy cannot be stolen because it's in you. Help us to see every breath, every day as a gift from you to be enjoyed and to bring you glory. And Lord, where we're not doing that right now, I just pray that you would convict our hearts, you would help us to repent, and that we would begin to actually live.
May we, Lord, reflect the joy of Jesus in everything we do. We ask this in his name. Amen.